Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Amy Webb. She's the author of The Big Nine. This is Technotopia. In the next 60 seconds, you're going to learn how the Flatiron School can change your life. The Flatiron School will help teach you everything you need to get the job in code, data science, or design. But they'll also prepare you for the jobs that don't even exist yet. Because this is a school designed to educate you in the art of change. So if you're feeling stuck, bored, or unfulfilled, Flatiron will teach you how to change things. You'll learn by making things, breaking things, and discovering how the future is being built. The results speak for themselves. Go to flatironschool.com slash podcast and read about our graduates' new careers, salary ranges, upcoming courses, and explore these exciting new careers. You can start building your own career in coding, data science, or digital design at one of Flatiron's local WeWork campuses, or you can take courses online. Go to flatironschool.com slash podcast, read the reviews, and sign up for a free intro course. That's all we ask. Enrollment is now open. It's time to future-proof yourself and change things, fix things, make things better, starting with you. Flatironschool.com slash podcast. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have quantitative futurist Amy Webb. Uh, she's also the author of The Big Nine, uh, How the Tech Titans and Their Thinking Machines Could Warp Humanity, which sounds like a really, uh, really chipper book. Welcome, Amy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> so why don't it you tell us about the? Yeah, so it seems seems like uh, warping humanity might uh, every every uh, every decade we have something that's going to warp humanity. Um, what's what's going on in the what's going on in the big nine? Yeah, well, I think the goal the goal of this is to to prevent the warping. Um, so over the years, my research as uh, as a futurist has been in lots of different areas of technology, but um, all of that research has been circling back to AI over and over again. And, you know, again, my observation is that the future of artificial intelligence is essentially being built by nine companies that own the lion's share of patents. They've got uh, the most money. They can attract the, the top talent. They, they've got the custom silicon, the custom frameworks, the custom chipsets. Um, and, and, and there are three of those companies in China and six in the United States. So in China, they're the BAT. That's Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. Uh -huh. And in the U.S., I call them the G Mafia. So that's uh, that's Google, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, Apple, and Facebook. And uh, it doesn't mean that you know Salesforce and Uber aren't also doing interesting things with AI. But at some point, all roads lead back to these nine companies. And with that much consolidation of power, um, and either market forces or the heavy fist of Beijing uh, making determinations as to what everybody should be doing uh, in the space, I think we all ought to take a look at at how this plays out over the longer term. So I think I've, I've made this point before, but I think we're at a we're at a point where technology is so expensive to improve upon, right? Where you, what you're talking about is there are companies that have huge bankrolls and they have all the hardware and the software engineers uh, to build uh, all these crazy things. What does this mean when when the when uh, the bats and the G G mafia uh, when they take over all the uh, all the resources? Yeah, and and you know one key area, of, you know another key resource is data. Let's not forget mm -hmm. um, our our data, companies' data, uh, government data. So um, you know j just because just because they they command a significant amount of power doesn't necessarily 
mean bad things. Um, my, my thought is that there are outside forces that are pressuring these companies and the smart people who work inside of them to make decisions that they may not be making otherwise. Uh, and there's such speed. Um, you know, speed has really been prioritized over safety. Uh, but my mm -hmm. concern is we're, we're, we're just, we're starting to make decisions in the short term that are going to wind up having downstream, like really negative implications that, that concerns me. What are some of these implications? I know that there's, uh, there's obviously biases, uh, built into some of these systems, um, et cetera, but is there something even more far ranging that you, you're expecting? Yeah. So, you know, in the field, um, unpredictability is a goal. So that's why people have been talking so much lately about generative adversarial networks, mm -hmm. um, because the, uh, and, and you can think of a GAN as a sort of Turing test playing against itself. So it's, it's two, two systems um, working out a problem against each other over and over again until the, the best possible solution is, is, uh, is found. And part of what's happening there is that the strategy that we might use uh, is quite different from the decisions and choices that are being made by these systems. So there's a real like positive benefit on the other side of this, which is um, these you know systems are able to fill in our own cognitive gaps. So attacking really thorny problems in ways that we've never thought of before. However, um, you know if unpredictability is is part of the goal here. Uh, and we know that we have foundational issues, you know, the systems can start discriminating against people in lots of weird and interesting ways, uh, mm -hmm. and not just the usual suspects like women and people of color, but everybody. Um, and you know, the way that I like to think of it is, uh, how irritated I, I used to be when many years ago, I, <laughs> I was using mostly windows machines and, you know, you get those permissions denied screens, mm -hmm. uh, like in the nineties, like when I'm, I think one of the things we could be looking at are permissions denied, you know, situations um, in everyday life and at work, uh, which would be untenable. Hmm. Interesting. So the, so the, I mean, that's the first I've heard of, of that kind of, that kind of fear. And this is actually really, really interesting because you're basically in a position where you get into a car or something like that, or you get onto a plane. And I think this is already sort of happening in China to a degree where based on your credit score, based on some sort of score, your social score, you're not allowed to do a certain thing, which is, which is wild. And it seems like, would, well, would humanity allow that to happen to itself? But I mean, we, we kind of already are, right? Mm -hmm. I, I guess, the, and I would say that we don't, we, we kind of have a social credit score right now. I mean, the, the basics of one. In the United States, it's just not as consolidated. So if, if you don't have, um, you know, you're, you're, data are being mined and refined in real time for lots of different purposes. So, you know, you may not be able to rent a car um, if your, whatever, credit history looks bad. Some, uh -huh. some insurers are now looking at what you post on social media, um, you know, as a way to judge you. So I guess what we're talking about are algorithms making judgments. They're just doing it in a sort of scattershot way here in the U.S. In China, um, AI is is what's helping to power uh, the, the social credit score system, uh, which has not been rolled out nationally and is, you know, is in the process of ramping up. But 17.5 million people last year in China couldn't buy a ticket to get on an airplane because mm -hmm. they didn't have a high enough score. 300,000 people in China qualified um, by merit 
to get promotions in their work, um, but because their social credit score wasn't high enough, they were denied managerial positions. That doesn't sound like you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's China. Um, you know, that's that's not here. And what I'm trying to help people understand is that we're inching toward that in lots of different ways mm-hmm. all the time. We just don't realize it. Hmm. Yeah, that's actually pretty frightening as well. What would a what would that sort of thing look like in the states? Do you expect? Uh, it sounds. Uh, would it be as drastic as something like uh, not getting a man, uh, manager position because of your score, or do you think there's something a, a little more um, pernicious? I guess. Yeah. Over well, here, I, I think so. So, like right now, there are people who are being. Uh, so algorithms are are sorting through resumes. Um, and for for very smart reasons, um, when you, when you're going through a giant pile of resumes as a first read, you're really just looking for keywords, and you're sort of looking at should this person move on to the next round, or should we disqualify them? Um, the challenge is that we already know that there are plenty of qualified people who are being disqualified um, because they have electives on their resumes. So if you uh-huh. were somebody who has a solid CS degree background, and you decided to take world literature or something, uh, or comparative religions or whatever, mm-hmm. fencing, um, that shows up in a, as an anomaly. And we've seen situations where somebody who is actually more well-rounded, who ostensibly you would want on your team, is getting discarded because the systems are so inflexible. Um, so I think in our case, in the U.S., it's more of a sort of an accidental offshoot mm-hmm. than something that's quite intentional. But all of this has a compounding effect over time. Uh, and, and the challenge is that oftentimes we don't realize because, you know, we're not sandboxing a lot of this technology first. So we don't realize there's a problem until it's too late and there's been, you know, public outcry. And then, then we're in cleanup mode versus, Mm -hmm. um, you know, something else. So how do we fix this? How do we prevent this? So it's good to think about artificial intelligence, not as a single technology, but as an umbrella that, you know, sort of includes many different technologies, and to think of it as the next era of computing. So if the first era was tabulation, and that would have been Ada Lovelace and Charles Babbage back in the you know, 1840s and 50s, we moved on to, program, uh, to programmable systems. This is the next era. And all AI is, uh, is a system designed to make decisions using data without a direct human intervention. So if we think about it that way, um, you know, the, the challenge is that the future, uh, I mean, you know this, like technology, uh-huh. even the best technology oftentimes pivots and goes in ways that we, we didn't anticipate or expect. Um, so there isn't a single way to thwart the problems that are ahead. There's not a single strain of bias. There's, it's, it's not that simple. Um, uh-huh. So this is where, you know, it's useful to think of the big nine or at least the G-Mafia collaborating in a meaningful way uh, on like shoring up and cleaning up all the databases that are used, performing audits to see where bias actually is and isn't, um, you know, changing the way that they interact with universities to be more inclusive. So it's like low hanging fruit like that, but also uh, building in transparency, uh, which I don't think would challenge IP in any way. But I mean, you can make the decision chain transparent mm-hmm. while still protecting how what the proprietary algorithms are, you know. Um, and, and of course, then other bigger, more challenging things like making all data interoperable across systems. So 
Like if you're somebody who's ever tried to switch between iOS and Android sure. on your mobile phone, which is like a pain in the ass, um, imagine porting your entire company mm-hmm. away from TensorFlow. You know, it's something, I mean, it's like, it's inconceivable and it's only going to get harder as more AI systems move into the cloud. So that's where like some of this collaboration will, I think, raise all boats. It doesn't necessarily hamper everybody's business efforts, but it's a, it's a, this is a big one. This is a big complicated problem that involves the big nine changing what they're doing. Universities, our governments, everyday people. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a challenging one. Have you heard that? Have you spoken to any of these folks and asked them if they will be willing to, uh, to do some of these things? Well, I have. Um, and I've, I've talked to folks at, at uh, several of the organizations, se- several of the big nine, you know, I, I hear a lot that, that, um, the, the answer that I tend to get is, well, well, we're already doing a lot of this. We're just, you know, we still have a ways to go. And then they'll point to ethics boards that they have or, you know, maybe like a an outside uh, consortium that they're a part mm-hmm. of. Uh, the challenge is that China, you know, in, in China, you've got a president who's effectively been elected for life because of some rule changes. Um, they have a totally different system of government. They have enormous, I mean, unthinkable sums of money and a incentive to get everybody rowing their oars in the exact same direction in lockstep. So while we're sorting through things here in the United States, my concern, oh, and then in the meantime, I mean, I'm sure you heard this, but like Canada has just published and proposed its own AI rules. Mm -hmm. The countries are now starting to propose their own rules for what AI should and shouldn't do. Which is a disaster that sets everybody up for disaster because now you've got competing interests, even if they're similar. Uh, as you know, like AI requires, in in order for these systems to work, they require um, sort of a, an exactness, you know. Mm-hmm. So th- there's not a lot of room for flexibility right now. I, I mean, we, you know, this is a problem. So I guess I guess the I guess it's almost like having uh, multiple internets, right? So you basically have a situation yeah. where. Canada only wants to use token rings and then China is using something entirely different. And we're saying here, let's work together. That's right. In our limited, in our limited uh, experience. That's totally right. Except way worse. So you and I happen to be talking on the, on the day that Tim Berners-Lee submitted his paper on uh, proposing the World Wide web. Mm -hmm. And I think all these years later, he's questioned whether uh, you know, whether, whether we should have thought of the internet as, as more of a public good in an economic sense. And I would argue the same is true for AI. Uh, we, we now have a splinter, we've got splinter nets. We've got an architecture that functions differently based on where geographically you are in the world, which has been made worse by the GDPR in Europe. So like mm-hmm. it's one sweeping regulation, but it's, it's, uh, implemented totally differently depending on where in the country you go. And in the United States, it's like the state of California has proposed something similar. So like, I mean, that, that's, that's still pretty much a, a one way or a two way um, transaction. You're getting information from a place or the place is sending information to you. AI is about um, systems making decisions on our behalf. So if you start having a situation where the rules and regulations and approaches are different depending on where you are in the world, and yet this thing is supposed to cover all of us. Um, I mean, that is, that is terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. So this, this is supposed to be a podcast about the a better future. So 
is there any uh, is there any upside here, or have you seen any uh, silver lining to this uh, to these storms? Yeah, I mean, the upside is, um, you know, I, I'm a futurist, and I will be the first person to tell you that I can't predict the future. It's not my mm-hmm. job. My job is to make connections uh, using data and quantitative models so that we can see trends and figure out what those trajectories look like, figure out where they connect, and you know, what plausible future scenarios might be so that we can reverse engineer back uh, our best possible futures to the present. Um, so for that reason, you know, n- none, of the, none of the catastrophic scenarios that I've written in the book have happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I have hope. However, people forget that our best possible futures, like things that are really truly great in life, don't just show up. Like, like a great future is not going to show up fully formed on our doorstep, ready for us to unwrap and enjoy. It takes a lot of hard work. Um, a great marriage takes a lot of hard work. It, you know, so if we're, my, my, my hope for the future is that once everybody gets on board and realizes that uh, there, there are tremendous promises with AI, you know, AI will augment our smartest workers, our smartest physicians and researchers, and I think within our lifetimes could help eradicate diseases that have been, you know, heritable, uh, like Parkinson's, and can help us come up with individualized treatment plans for rare cancers, um, you know, and can help us tackle really thorny questions um, like running tons of models on variants of universal basic income to figure Mm -hmm. out like better ways to, you know, so like, I think all that's possible, but the only way that's going to happen is if we collaborate, the big nine have to collaborate. Uh, We have to trust those companies and be willing to give up our data uh, in a way that makes us feel okay. The government can't just threaten regulation every five minutes. There has to be a better relationship between government and the Valley and our various governments around the world. So it's going to take a lot of hard work. But if we put, if we, if we like do it, if we, if we push up our sleeves and and get down to it, I think um, the future could be amazing. What should, what should the average person be thinking about right now in terms of this? Well, I think in the year 2019, uh, the average person is going to hear a lot about regulation um, and, and over and over again at a state level. Uh, some of you in cities uh, that are more technologically savvy, you're going to be here. You're going to be hearing your local representatives talk about this. It's going to be a part of the 2020 presidential campaign going forward. Um, and we're going to see new, reg- there's all, already all kinds of new regulatory things happening overseas. So the first thing is before you jump on the regulatory bandwagon, uh, you've got to be willing to put your emotions aside and say, well, wait a minute, what would this actually mean? And is this even possible? Um, because to me, a lot of these calls for blanket regulation are just distractions. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is uh, to, you know, as individuals, to make better choices about who and who we're giving our data to and when. All of these cool things that you see online where you upload your photo and then it shows you a picture of what, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so like, maybe don't do that. <laughs> or, if or, if, or if you're going to, um, maybe stop first and say, uh, once, I, once I participate, what's happening on the back end? And demand mm-hmm. transparency. It's okay. You know, we can still have fun uh, and at the same time understand what's happening with our stuff on the back end. Um, you know, so those are some simple things for businesses, uh, for people who are, well, for people who work in the industry, um, just understand that like a lot of people on the outside of the industry 
you know, sometimes if you're just, if you're in the trenches and you're slogging away, uh, a lot of the promises that have been made about AI feel ridiculous. They feel like far off in the future, Mm -hmm. but you forget sometimes that you doing your part of whatever project it might be is part of many bigger things, right? Uh, that, That all sort of fit together in a big constellation. So you know, demand transparency <laughs> within your workplaces. If something feels like you're suddenly being, you're being asked to do things faster than you think are safe, mm-hmm. figure out ways to slow that debt process down and get with other people and demand that you're able to slow some things down. But at the same time, you know, understand that a lot of governments around the world have cut off, in fact, Trump just cut off in his proposed budget, a huge chunk of basic funding for science. So that means that our uh, public sector has to pick up the slack, which Mm -hmm. means that Google and Amazon, you know, and Microsoft and IBM, these big companies are going to be doing some military work, probably, and some science work that may rub you the wrong way. But stop for a minute before you protest and figure out what it is and what that means. And, you know, so that, I don't know, I'm rambling, but I I guess like the the biggest, most important thing everybody could do is to take five minutes, like take a break mm-hmm. and uh, figure out what all of this is and what AI is, what it isn't, why it matters, how it affects your, whatever it is that you do. Maybe we'll use a big AI system to tell everybody to just, uh, just pause for five minutes. I don't think we could do that though, right? <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe you just put it all on Instagram. It'll be like the fire yeah. festival. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> so this is uh, this is fascinating. So, so your website's Amy Webb, uh, bs.io and the book is available there. Um, are you on, are you on tour at all? I am. I'm on a uh, book tour for the next uh, couple months. I'll be in Chicago, DC. Uh, I'll be up in Toronto. I'll be out on the West coast and, um, I'll be all over in our, if you're sort of interested in how, and you should be, how AI fits into the bigger picture of life. Um, our annual trend report, which is now in its 12th year, just launched couple weeks ago or a couple days ago, uh, which is why I'm sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, But it's available for free. All of the research that we do at FTI is available for free and it's open source. So anybody can download it and use it. All right. Wonderful. Amy, thanks for joining us on Techtopia. This has been great. Thanks a bunch. Thanks. By Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp. is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp. is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp. loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is also sponsored by Jaywalk. Jaywalk is a new app that pays you to walk. You can try it out at jaywalk.me. It's created by me, John Biggs, and a few of my friends. jaywalk.me, please check it out. 